Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. Flatten, hosting independent artists and thinkers. I'm so happy to welcome you to the show. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Um, and I'm using a new microphone, so if it sounds weird, uh, blame this different microphone. I didn't have much choice in the matter, but at least we have a microphone. I'm really happy that so many people are listening to the show live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the show as I really am. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality, and this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Uh, as something I realized this week that I want to start putting it out there into the public discourse, and that's this. Every spiritual act is an act of defiance in a materialistic world. So think on that. So please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers, and the chat room's open. So log in and say hi. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest. And you can reach me at Tracy at TracyLSlatten.com. And that's T-R-A-C-I at TracyLSlatten.com. F like Sam. In the coming weeks, we've got some great guests coming on. So tune in and keep checking the website, IndependentArtistThinkers.com, and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on the show. I am so delighted today to have as guests Zach Valenti and Gabriel Urbina, who are filmmakers and podcasters and original independent thinkers, and they're here to tell us what millennials are up to, and they've assured me that they are right in the middle of the millennial curve, so I think we're getting it right from the horse's mouth. Gabriel Urbina is a Costa Rican-American writer, filmmaker, and science fiction lover. He created, writes, and co-produces Wolf 359, one of the fastest-growing audio drama podcast on iTunes with over 400,000 downloads since August 2014. That's cool. 
when he's not too busy taking dictation from the voices in his head, and I do that too, Gabriel juggles, has strong opinions about movies, and sleepwalks an alarming amount. He lives in Brooklyn. Follow him on Twitter. His, hand, his handle on Twitter is kinda evil genius, all one word. Zach Valenti is a New York City native filmmaker, voice actor, and mental health activist. In his free time, Zach co-produces and stars in Wolf 359, and that, by the way, you can find at www.wolf359.fm, one of the fastest-growing audio drama podcasts on iTunes. As an advocate for mental health awareness, he has presented at Harvard, TEDx, National University of Singapore, and Massachusetts General Hospital, and his writing is published in the Wall Street Journal, Salon, and the New York Daily News. Zach also currently serves as the director of video production at One Month, that's onemonth.com, a venture-backed online school for entrepreneurs. Very cool. Follow him on Twitter, and his Twitter handle is Zach Valenti, one word, V-A-L-E-N-T-I. And you can also find out more about Zach at www.zachvalenti.is. Zach and Gabriel, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having us here. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I'm going to acknowledge that I've known Zach for a long time since he was a little guy, and I'm so happy to see he's grown into a lovely man. So that's really nice, and um, has a lovely mother also. And Gabriel, I'm sure you have a lovely mother, but I just have met her. <laughs> Something to look forward to. <laughs> there you go. All right, so you guys, um, I don't know if you want to identify yourself, or I guess we can just go with the flow. But here's my usual opening question for my guests. And the reason I ask this is because it situates listeners into who you are and what you're all about. And that is, how did you begin your journey? And what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be involved in the worlds of podcasting and writing and acting and meditating for you, Zach? Were these things a major presence in your homes when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? So talk about your childhood and lead up till now. Big questions. Gabriel, you can say. Sure. Um, um, I pretty much always wanted to be a writer or a storyteller. I think that as soon as I moved past the, I want to be Indiana Jones, I want to be a space cowboy phase of my childhood, I think that the first real... I still want to be Captain Kirk. I know. <laughs> I think the first real kind of aspiration that I had was I want to be a writer. Um, and for a long time, that was kind of I want to be J.R.R. Tolkien, part two. But eventually, I stumbled into this little TV show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. And that was the switch where all of a sudden it kind of went from I'm a writer, I really like TV, into wait a minute. Somebody gets paid to write television. Somebody gets paid to do these things. I have to do whatever it takes in order to put myself in a position where I can be doing that, where I can be writing silly things, have amazing people come in, say those things that I wrote, and have that go out into the world and have people finding it and reacting to it. And after that, I just started to consume as much as I could about writing, about television, about filmmaking. I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut, and I studied... Um, film under a lot of the same professors that Joss Whedon, who created Buffy the Vampire Slayer, studied under. So I took that role model to a almost obscene degree of seriousness and just committed very hard to I want to go down this exact path. And that was pretty much the start of it. It was just kind of this one work and this one man that opened my eyes to what an amazing possibility this was. And I just dove down that rabbit hole as much as I could. 
What about you, Zach? That's cool. Uh, I wish I had such a succinct answer. (laughs) (laughs) True to my ADD diagnosis, my path started with an ADD diagnosis. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I... You know, learn to read late. All the best people have them. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned to read late. And so for me, visual medium was always something that attracted to me, attracted me to it. Um, and storytelling was a big part of my childhood. I, as somebody who read slowly, gravitated towards the audiobook spectrum. I think my mother finally got so sick of reading Harry Potter over and over again that she started recording it on tape herself until she realized Jim Dale did it already and it was a lot less expensive. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so that sort of put me on a path towards wanting to not only tell stories uh, in, uh, maybe as a writer, uh, but you know, I think the second that I turned 13 and my voice dropped uh, to, to tell stories the way Jim Dale did, um, the way I, you know, the voice that put me to sleep for like more than half my life. Um, <laughs> but this is a good put you to sleep. Yes, yes, this is a yes, as opposed well, to. Well, uh, can I interject ask you a question? Yes, please. I read your bio, of course, you do stuff with meditating. Yes. So I like to listen sometimes if I can't sleep at night. I listen to the Honest Guys on YouTube. Do you oh, know no, them? I don't know those guys. Oh, they're these. They British guys, <laughs> I think they are, they're telling the truth, but they, they record all these amazing meditations, there's like all these great huh. meditations on YouTube, and they, so the honest guys record these amazing meditations, and I, so I listen to them to put me to sleep, That's so awesome. that was the, the connection to what you were saying, yeah. so falling asleep to someone's voice. That reminds me of, I think it's called the, the Sleep With Me podcast, where a guy just kind of mumbles. <laughs> quietly, like, sort of absurd things, <laughs> um, but it apparently works for thousands of people. But um, I uh, I only found meditation relatively late in, I mean, I'm not, like, crazy old, but yeah, but basically, it wasn't until college that I really found meditation. I Your best like, years were behind you. I <laughs> the golden already, years of I know. childhood. My youth absconded, <laughs> um, and uh, it wasn't, yeah until I was really feeling the side effects of my attention deficit medication. Oh, yeah. That, uh, you know, I was in college um, in a, a very rigorous major that I wouldn't have been able to get into had it not been for the miracle of the medication that I've been subscri- uh, subscribed, prescribed um, at a pretty young age. And at the same time, it was starting to affect my sleep and my social interactions and so I was really desperate to get off of them or at least supplement them with something else. And that's when I finally listened to the Yoda of my life, uh, my mother. Who, uh, <laughs> nice lady. We like her, your mom. Amazing. Um, and she uh, had me not try but do uh, some, some reframed meditation training. It was not sold to me that way. It was neurofeedback with a, uh, a cognitive behavioral therapist and working with him opened my eyes to what meditation can be with a brain wave powered video game. So, wow. yeah. So I was playing Pac-Man and if I got too excited and this was like the Miyagi approach, right? So for weeks I was just like falling asleep, trying to follow my breath. And in the last section session, he's like, want to play a game? I was like, what? And I, <laughs> it turned out I'd been waxing on and off all summer and as I was playing Pac-Man and Space Invaders, I had to keep relaxed using the breathing techniques that he'd been showing me. 
over the menu. So trying, you're trying to stay in an alpha state. Exactly. To stay at a sort of even keel of relaxation and balancing concentration and relaxation without getting overly excited. And it was that experience that had me see mindfulness as uh, going to the gym for your brain. Mm-hmm. And that was a revelation to me and, and, and ultimately inspired me to create what I do when I'm not doing Wolf 359 and, and doing video production and working with uh, my startup, um, this project called Project Uplift, which is, I, I call it an insane mental health awareness campaign mm-hmm. that endeavors to share that experience of I have this power inside myself to uplift myself and to be my own first line of defense against stress, anxiety, depression, to, to alter the, the structure of my own brain with something that is basically free, just breathing. Um, and sharing that with people who maybe like me thought it was, can I say bull? <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> thought it was bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, I, do, I do yoga every day and primarily because the breathing puts me in a very centered place. Mm. And then if you do enough yoga, usually I have to do at least 45 minutes, then I get to a place where I'm actually not the body, I'm the breath. Have mm-hmm. you ever had that experience? I have, and not in yoga and in other practices. Yeah, so that's the cool, that's the yeah. peak for me. Yeah, uh, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so Gabriel, I have to ask, have you read Edgar Rice Burroughs or see Before Your Time? I have not read Edgar Rice Burroughs, no. Okay, because I had not. a... Dive into that pool yet. I had a science fiction children's writer, Bruce Coville, on, mm-hmm. and he and I were both devotees of Edgar Rice Burroughs. He wrote Tarzan, right. John Carter yeah. Mars. Yeah, so huh. it was really cool stuff. All right, so you two guys, tell us about Wolf 359. Sure. So uh, Wolf 359 is a audio drama podcast, a science fiction audio drama podcast, in the tradition of classic <laughs> radio. Um and uh, I like play, War of the Worlds, kind of. Yeah, uh, I play a uh, <laughs> lovable to hate um, <laughs> uh, communications officer. Um, oh, is he the one they say is crazy when I you look online? One of the one of the characters possible. is described as being crazy. Uh, no, probably probably your other character. I, yeah, I assume <laughs> that's my other character. Okay. Um, I, I play the communications officer who's ostensibly the uh, the protagonist. Not quite an anti-hero, but definitely a uh, flawed protagonist, <laughs> shall we call sure. it. Sure. <laughs> Emphasis on the flaw. <laughs> um, and then I also play the station medical officer, Dr. Alexander Hilbert, who is definitely <laughs> not evil. Definitely no. not trying to experiment on you. <laughs> Absolutely, under no circumstances. <laughs> and the show is kind of about these two people, and they're stuck with two other people on board a space station. And they've been there, when the show starts, for about a year and a half. So four people in a small space. Right. It's basically what happens when you put four people that all have incredibly different, incredibly strong personalities in the most isolated, most dangerous pressure cooker that we could come up with. And just what happens when you leave that alone for a year and a half and then come back in? How have all the people unraveled? What have they learned about each other? How are they getting along? Or more often, how are they not getting along? Well, they look beyond the stars for extraterrestrial life. Oh, they're looking for ETs. Right. Cool. Yeah. Do they find any? Good question. <laughs> we can't tell. We can't tell. <laughs> no, we cannot officially give an answer to that just yet. That's okay. Right. No. Uh, you refuse to answer amazing. on the grounds that may incriminate you? 
Right, right, right. We need, we, we still, we're still hanging on to a tiny shred of plausible deniability. All right. Well, <laughs> far be it for me to ask you to relinquish plausible deniability. So, is your bad guy, is he bad, like, evil, like, Kevin Spacey, House of Cards evil, or is he evil, like, I don't know. Uh, evil is all a matter of perspective. <laughs> he is, he's a very conflicted human being. And complicated man. He's a very complicated man. And where we are in the show, we've kind of met the people that are above him, and those are the evil with a capital E underlined <laughs> evil. The uncomplicated evil people. Are um, they like from a corporation? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's basically the people that sent the our, the protagonists up to the station. The puppet masters. So a, bit, a little bit like the company in Alien. Exactly. They're very Wayla Newtani. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and Hilbert, who Zach plays, it's much more of an exercise in writing someone that does a lot of awful things for what he thinks are very good reasons and for what he thinks are very... No goals. Yeah, kind of when you zoom out and look at the grand calculus of it all, what are the things that are going to impact humanity in the best ways, even if the short-term costs are very horrible. So we don't ever kind of approach him as just, well... Look at the way that he is twirling his handlebar mustache as he adjusts his black hat. <laughs> what a villainous guy that is. Where's his cape? Um, but he's definitely kind of a source of a lot of the conflict on the show and a lot of the um, more extreme perspectives. So why this show? Why this show now? Why when you start a podcast? Why a sci-fi show? Why set in outer space? Why these complex characters? Oh, such a great question. And how I wish we had a particularly yeah. good answer for it. But the honest answer is... I was, one day I was just walking um, across town, I was living in LA at the time, and I was listening to a Radiolab episode about space, and they were talking to um, Annie Julian about what are the mathematical realities of, could we ever find alien life? And I was listening to that, all of a sudden, this show just came into my head fully formed like Athena out of Zeus's head. Just mm-hmm. I knew who the character was, I knew what the setting was, I knew it was four people, I knew it was in space, and for whatever reason, maybe because I was listening to a podcast as it just appeared, it just felt very intuitively something that wanted to be an audio drama and something that wanted to exist in that visual-less medium. So how I wish that we had like sat down <laughs> and scientifically arrived at the decisions for all these things, but it was very much the show asserted itself into what it wanted to be, and we went down the path that it blazed. And it was sort of right place, right time. Gabrielle was living in L.A. at the time and was excited to create something. And I think I... Which I was not being able to do exactly for, at all. <laughs> for, I think, all the obvious and, and usual reasons of recent postgrads, not having a budget to execute right. big sci-fi, high-concept ideas in a visual medium expensive to do space on video um, and meanwhile I was in New York and got this you know Facebook ping from a mutual friend of ours that was telling me Gabrielle was looking for a voice actor to, to bring this one-man show to life um, which it, it is no longer a one-man show because of our collaboration um, and at the time I was like gunning for voiceover uh, my voice dropped when I was 14 um, and uh, Ever since then, people have been joking that I'm Mr. Movie Phone, and I was dying to see if I could one day pay my rent by opening my mouth. And I'd been sort of trundling along on the, uh, the commercial road, and I wasn't 25 at the time, so I couldn't do alcohol ads, so I wasn't <laughs> looking much. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I, I was starting to get bored of just reading copy about selling people stuff they don't really need and really wanted to stretch other muscles and not just sound like me to do the accents that I've you know had in my back pocket since I was a little kid and was messing around with that kind of stuff. Um, so right place, right time, we could do uh, uh, sci-fi, which we love, and we could do it in a medium that would get me out there sort of as a calling card, get him out there sort yeah. of as a, as a writer. And it was, you know, <laughs> for a cliche, it was a match made in, you know, maybe heaven. Know. <laughs> uh, we'll see where it ends up. Via Wesleyan alumni it, heaven. It, it felt like a really good way to kind of circumvent a lot of things that were cramping our creative style. It was a lot of, oh, we don't live in the place where the people that we want to work with are. It's okay. We can do this show entirely without ever having to be in the same room. Oh, we don't have the budget to do these things. It's okay. It'll be a radio drama. What budget? It'll be right, fine. Right, yeah. Right. So, um, did you guys know each other at Wesleyan? Yep. We knew each other, yes. We weren't as close as we are now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been really cool to sort of get to, you know, I think we were uh, mutually, like, the story of how this all Wesleyan cast and crew came together is uh, a series of creative crushes. Where right. we were all kind, we knew about each other. We maybe knew each other's work. I'd seen that person in a play, and then like this other person had been in a mm -hmm. film that a friend had directed, sort of thing. Um, yeah. But we were in what, three classes together? We were. And yeah. I was always that kid in the third row in awe of that kid in the first row who okay. just seemed to get it. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, we both hated that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible guy. So, do you guys work together on the scripts? Are you a pantser or a plotter? Who does most, do you do most writing, Gabriel? How, does, how do you get the scripts out? So Gabriel does most of the writing. Um, and at this point, we have another uh, writer that is, like, really doing an, a tremendous job, Sarah Shackett, who was in my year at Wesleyan. I've written one full episode, and I think we co-wrote a mini-episode. Uh, mini right. Oh, we got a question from Alexander Stant. Alexander Stant, what is your writing process? Do you start with an outline for the episode, or do you just go in, a pants or a sure. plotter? Yeah. And how much stuff have you throw, do you throw out from the first draft? <laughs> Thanks for sending a question, Alexander. Yeah, great question. Um, I, we outline. Oh yeah. Like nobody's business. Oh yeah. How I wish that I was one of those people that had the Apollonian blessing of just being able to <laughs> sit down with a blank page and just start banging, and it goes to interesting places. If I did that, it would go on for 90 pages and get <laughs> nowhere. Um, I'm not kidding. So no, we very rigorously outline. First, the season, and we tend to do that together with our other staff writer. Yeah. And then we kind of like zoom it into an outline for each episode. And those outlines can sometimes be 10 pages single spaced. Wow. Um, like, there is, and people are sometimes shocked that we then sort of like turn around and write a 30 page script in something like three days. And it's well because it's already so figured out in the outline. And the outline can sometimes take three weeks. Do you have, together. like, a show book? Do you have, you know, the back At this story? point, we have, we have a pretty hefty Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we started out with this document that was a proposal. There was this maybe 15-page document that was, here's what the show is, here's what we're thinking, here's what a tentative arc looks like, here's what the characters are, and here's what a few episodes might look like. Just kind of as a, like, pitch document for anyone that might want to work on the show. Since then, we have gone back and really expanded upon that. And 
someone is going to start working with us over the summer, and I was recently putting together a document that now included all information on themes, all the character biographies, all of the like different ideas, all the character mapping, all the arc mapping, and by now it's over 100 pages of wow. just like ancillary information and ancillary detail. Are you ever going to novelize it? Uh, if you decide to novelize it, I'll publish it in my press. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Okay, Very that is... I have no money. Yeah. I, I cannot offer you too much of an advance, like 100 bucks, but, you know, we'll profit share. Sure, sure. Okay. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> no, I mean, um, a few people have all have asked us, have we ever considered, would we ever consider doing a book? Would we ever consider doing a comic book? Um, and I think that my honest answer is, we don't know. Because yeah. this is something that, again, from the first moment, felt that it very strongly wanted to be an audio drama. And that mm-hmm. it very strongly wanted to be in that setting where as an audience member you would be putting in as much as you were getting and that there mm-hmm. would be sort of that gap where you need to be filling in all these details yourself. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea if this content plays well with other mediums. Um, and I think that we would need to really sit down and spend a while thinking about it and thinking about what the adjustments might have to be before we could say, oh, it could be a novel. It could be a TV show. Graphic novel. It's only pro. Right. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's only All right. So um, I'm going to pause right now for 30 seconds, and we'll come back and talk about what it means to be a millennial. But I want to play my um, book commercial. So hold one sec. When you find an author you love, you read everything they publish. International best-selling author Tracy L. Slatton is one of those writers. Her book Immortal is a rags-to-riches-to-burnt-at-the-stake story of an orphan boy in Renaissance Florence. Broken is the story of a fallen angel in Nazi-occupied Paris and her award-winning romantic paranormal dystopian after-book series. Also, her bittersweet sci-fi romantic comedy, The Love of My Other Life. Read one and you will be hooked. Find all of her books at TracyLSlatton.com. And we're back. Okay. So we had a discussion before the show started about what it means to be millennial. And um, you said you guys know where the body of the American dream is being buried. So, <laughs> But I'm going to start by saying... Damn it, I thought there were no cameras. <laughs> what does it mean to you to be millennials? And how do you see yourself as different from earlier generations? Mm-hmm. And then the follow-up to that is, do you believe that the American dream is dying? So, But start with millennials and get to the American dream. Go. <laughs> very simple, straightforward questions. Casual. And back. So, <laughs> a lot of times I feel like being a millennial is being a punching bag for 24-hour news. Um, hmm. And it's just, like, easy to complain. Uh, I think one of the big headlines that I've gotten about millennials is apathy. Um, and to the point that they're already looking for Generation Z or whatever the hell the next thing is right. for a salvation. Uh, to fix what, you know, and do <laughs> yeah. the work that... We Gen Wires have been a huge letdown. I mean, yeah, let's, like, move past them as soon as possible. And that's kind of the impression that I've been getting. You um, guys don't seem apathetic to me at all. Well, and that's why I kind of resent the, the articles <laughs> about, like, you know, like, screw these millennials that are just, like, waiting for a government handout and, you know... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not the most informed person in the world. So I'm the, the wrong person to ask about... Uh, like large historical trend that's happening now. Um, but as somebody who I think is has been like shoved into this like you know uh, generalization, I think being a millennial is basically being the current elector. You know the current like young elector. It just is what it is. 
mm-hmm. being the like the people that are about to inherit the problems of our culture um, that ha- you know that are going to have to do whatever work there is to do. Um, I, that that's kind of it. That's yeah. a good answer. Softball. I guess yeah. my my disclaimer to all this would be like. We're not sociologists. Yeah, exactly. We kind of know what's no, going on. No, I don't want a sociologist to talk about this. Right. I don't, want the, I don't want that. I don't want the academic answer. Right, but with just that, this is not the academic answer. This is the answer from two dudes. No, I don't um, want the answer from two dudes in the trenches with their shirt sleeves rolled up. <laughs> Hashtag two dudes, our new podcast. <laughs> I think that one of the biggest differences is just the sheer volume of information that is available to millennials to consume from a very early age. And a big part of that is technological advancements. A big part of that is kind of breakdowns in certain things that are becoming less taboo to talk about at younger ages. I think there's just like a much bigger amount of information and perspectives that are available to millennials. And I think that, you know, if you had given earlier generations, that sheer amount of access to data and to perspectives, you would have gotten a lot of the trends that you're seeing in millennials, even in those earlier generations. And I think that what one side of the coin is that it can be perceived as it is a generation that is slightly more apathetic and slightly more unsure about what they want to do. And I think that that comes from so much time taking in all of these perspectives and trying to, you know, make a decision when they have 29 options in a place where earlier generations might have had three options or three ways of looking at something. I think the other side of the coin is that millennials spend a lot more time questioning things that are basic assumptions. And I think that you see that in a lot of the things that are written about how millennials talk to each other, about how millennials communicate about how millennials go about dating, about how millennials go about Oh, yeah, I have no understanding of your guys' dating rituals. It's mystifying to me. I've been married with children my entire life since I was 23, so I'm not a good person to understand anyways, but it's very weird to me. The big spoiler is we don't understand. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that's kind of a little bit of what millennial is about. It's kind of this idea of before there was this very, very ritualized, very structured model for courtship that 99% of a generation would subscribe to. And with a lot of the current people, you're sort of seeing what happens when that model starts to be taken a little bit less seriously. And you get with a lot of people that kind of have this reaction that you just had, even when they are millennials, of, I have no idea what's happening, and I have no idea what's going on. Well, my a lot of people having to redefine it for themselves. Well, my stepdaughter told me, if you like a guy, you don't sleep with him. If you don't like a guy, you can sleep with him. I'm like, what? What is that? How do you do that? But apparently, if you like someone... Carefully. You, you do it carefully. <laughs> you do it carefully. Right. My generation, we didn't have to be careful until mm-hmm. a certain point. But we were pretty zipless for a while. But apparently, for you guys, if you like each other, you wait and get to know each other. And, but if you don't like each other, you can just hop into bed. The whole thing seemed weird to me. It is very odd. Um... And then she told me about this thing called ghosting, where you'll be in this relationship with a guy, and you'll be talking on the phone, mostly texting, occasionally seeing each other, and then he just vanishes. Right. They do the fade away. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's 
a variation on a theme that's always been there, but it's very perplexing. Um, are you guys ever going to get married? I mean, do you have plans for that? Either of you? It's not what I'm focused on right now. Yeah, <laughs> it, it depends on who. Right. Yeah. And uh, and I think I I am very much focused on you know my like place in the world uh, before my you know like life partnership. Which is a very millennial attitude, Zach. <laughs> I guess so. Well. Interesting. Interesting. So what does your generation think of, like, I'm not, I'm actually technically born after the baby boomers and before Gen, what was it, Gen X. Right. But what do you guys think of, like, my generation and, and the other ones, Gen X and the boomers? That's a good question. Um... I think that there is this stereotype of millennials being extraordinarily resentful about earlier generations and having this attitude of, gee, mom and dad, all right, I'll clean up the living room. I guess you guys are never going to get around to it. God. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. I mean, I think that especially, I don't know about, any sort of thing that comes about in terms of active intergenerational resentment or conflict around millennials. Um, most of millennials I know are too busy trying to sort out their own yeah. mess of a life to be sort of thinking about what the earlier sort of generations were getting right and wrong when they had their go at it. Do you think we left you a better world or a worse world than the one we inherited it? Or that we will leave a better world or a worse world? I mean, that that's really hard to answer. I think what I would say is that, to a certain extent, I think the story of history right now is people doing the best with what they could see at the time. Yeah. And, you know, to a certain extent, we got the world we deserved based on our view. Um, and not to say that we deserve this, you know, not to say it should be the way it is, um, I just think that what we're seeing now, and what I, I, I read to a 90-something-year-old um, every other week or so and spend a fair amount of time with my grandma, and I, I love talking to people of other generations, and I can see it's like blinders in certain areas of how the world is and how things are. And it's, it's amazing to see how, you know, as you are in dialogue with people, they, you know, they suddenly surprise you. I don't know. I, I, I don't mean to point fingers at anybody, but and <laughs> I, I, my grandma is incredibly exactly. open-minded as we talk about... Well, that's you know, a particularly great generation. She's 90. She's... Those yeah. people are amazing. Well, yeah, and she's, you know, like, my grandmother, like, hears about open relationships. She's like, that sounds interesting. How does that work? You know, she's not like, <laughs> like, ew, like, that's Satan, you know, right. Um, but it's not something that ever occurred to her while she was growing up. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that there is... My view of it is just like it's all about expanding our awareness, and that doesn't happen by making anybody wrong. And I think that each generation has moved the world forward in a certain way, and it's kind of very easy to kind of look at the generation that was in charge during the 1940s, especially here in the United States. It's like, wow, they did such a great job. Like, you know, so, you know, they went and fought the most necessary war that we can possibly conceive of, and they had all these great things. The economy was booming. Roads were paved with gold. Those people that were in charge in the 60s, though, man, they left the country in such a mess. It's kind of like, 
Yes and no. The people in the 60s also started a lot of very important, very difficult conversations about mm-hmm. civil rights, about equality, about liberty that were just not getting addressed in the 1940s. And to just kind of look at it in terms of the summary of how things are without factoring in, okay, but like how much of the mess is necessary? How much of the mess is starting things that are yeah. going to blossom 30, 40, 50 years down the road into something more enlightened? Mm. How much credit are we not giving to sort of a lot of the baby boomer and a lot of the Gen Xers for things like that, that we just don't have the perspective about where those things are going to end up yet? Well, those are great answers. I'm just going to go back because we've got some chat room questions um, oh, sure. in terms of age and generations. Um, Little Leaf Edlund, Linden, I can't read it, um, all the wolf, asks, all the Wolf 359 characters are older than you. Does that affect how you write or play them in any way? Hmm. Are they older? They are older. Okay. Yeah, most of them are at least in their 30s. Um, Some are older than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, not enormously. Um, I think that when writing them especially, I don't tend to think of them as, I need to write this from the 35-year-old perspective. Yeah. It tends to be, I need to write this from the perspective of someone that had this kind of parent and had this particular experience and then had this bad day the day before. And how does someone that has those specific things react to this thing that is happening? And it tends to be more on that level than anything in terms of thinking about it as a generational gap or as an age gap. You pretty much sound like you when you play Eiffel. But then again, you sound like you're 50 and have smoked all your life. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? Nothing like them toasted. <laughs> no, 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 Zach. Do you sort of like... I don't think about it. Um, and this could come from my sort of ignorance as a, like, late-in-life actor. Uh, and, you know, call me crazy. I just Again, best years of his life. I far know. behind. Far behind. Like, yeah, yeah. So many You're, what, 25? Yeah, I'm 26. <laughs> but so many of my compatriots on the cast of Wolf 359 have been acting their entire lives. And it's very right. intimidating to be in a room with them because they are so talented and so um, just, like attuned to the the nuances of the craft in a way that I am like just like a blind man uh, are you stumbling taking around. Lessons? Uh, I've taken a couple um, and I'm definitely looking in the next year to get uh, to dive into the UCB world of things uh, I'd like to do a little bit more improv theater what is UCB for uh, UCB is the upright citizens brigade here in New York City and I, I do they have other chapters around? I think, there's, I think it's in New York City. It's where Amy Poehler and a bunch of other folks came up. Um, it is uh, an improv comedy school uh, that I could get into the weeds there, but that's pretty much all you need to know. Um, and I've done that. I did that a couple of years ago, and that was great to just kind of get – shake some bad habits that I had doing radio announcements in college where I kind of got into this thing where I was <laughs> just sounding fake and doing <laughs> punch the word. Exactly. And so just like kind of shaking that off, getting back into my own skin. So yeah, when I play Eiffel and Hilbert, I do not think of them as like older, wiser people. You know, there, there was a moment where, where I sort of switched my approach to Hilbert and more to serve the master of demarcating him from Eiffel. Yeah. Um, but also as we got to know the character more and that his age wasn't just 
a number. It's like like there are there is some baggage in those years that I think would carry in a, a sort of quieter, more growly tone that he sort of, I think, started to sound a little bit older. And I started to think about being a little bit more tired playing him. Um, not that age and exhaustion has any correlation. Cause I oh, know they do. I think they do. <laughs> I've met 80-year-olds who have more more spirit than I do. So. And right here you have a 20-year-old that's constantly exhausted. <laughs> that's right. So who has inspired you guys? Who has inspired you? Um... Oh, gosh, all sorts of people. Um, again, Joss Whedon is kind of the person that started it all for me. Mm-hmm. A lot of the kind of early um, rogue media makers that trailblazed on the internets were huge inspirations for me, kind of the Felicia days of the world and kind of the early folks that did web series. And then completely on the other side of that, a lot of those people in the 1930s and 40s that were doing radio dramas like complete maniacs those people that just had a show on thursdays and so every single week they were writing rehearsing and producing a 30-hour radio drama wow every week of the year for five years at a time until cbs just kind of went and now we're done with your show and then they went to the other network and they did the exact same thing with a new show so kind of a lot of the lucille fletcher's and the willis coopers uh orson wells of course um those are a lot of the big people for me. Yeah, I think all those people for sure. Um, I, I mean, I, I am very much inspired by the voice actors of the world. Scott Brick is, mm-hmm. you know, sort of my my more modern inspiration. I talked about um, the the gent who does the Jim Dale. Jim Dale um, uh, was H. more John of a, Benjamin. H. John Benjamin's huge. Uh, love his stuff. Um, and then. YouTube has been something I've been diving, you know, more right. into, and Casey Neistat has been a really big inspiration in, in my, I've been spending some time on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Zach Valenti, um, if you're interested, <laughs> uh, definitely consider subscribing. Um, and, uh, I'll subscribe. Awesome. And, and, uh, and then as I've been working for a startup, it's been interesting to see how some of those ideas have been things that we've been porting over into our art, and I... Uh, right. Derek Sivers has been an incredible voice, um, and he, I think, started out as a musician, created CD Baby, the first and largest online record store, and he has a lot of awesome thoughts about, you know, what are you focused on and optimizing for, and um, and it's just been a real uh, guide in this pursuit as, you know, as we've continued to strike out further and further. So... What have you guys learned? What are some of the most important po- points you've learned on this journey? I know, Zach, you've experienced your journey. is very lengthy, but <laughs> what have you guys learned along the way? What would you summarize? Uh, well, for anyone who wants to create, I think the single biggest uh, thing to do is to get yourself on the hook. I think right. the story of Wolf 359 is how we learn to throw ourselves in front of the bus of public shame and dodge it every yeah. time. You know, every time it's time to get another episode online. Yeah, that's sort of the recurring joke of what gets Wolf 359 made is not so much passion, which often helps, but the main driving force is the fear of public shame. Um, But no, I think that one of the big things has been just, Lord, it is possible to make something that feels complete and fully realized as much as you want it to and that can connect with an audience on very little money and very little personnel and very quickly. 
Um, I think that it's very easy to kind of get into this mindset nowadays of an artistic endeavor is something that takes you five years of your life and all this personnel and all these moving parts. And having this show was just a completely re-energizing experience in terms of, no, we can write and produce and edit this very, very quickly. And we can be doing new contents month to month. Um, How many podcasts do you do like a month? Two podcasts a month. Um, How long are they? They started out about 15 minutes. Latest ones are all about 30. They've been kind of growing on us. Yeah. (laughs) It's been getting harder and harder to kind of like keep the page count down. So I could start with episode one and just listen straight through. Yeah, and that's what we'd And you really should, unless you want that memento like, what is going on? (laughs) I am so confused. And then the order slowly emerging. You really should listen to it in sequence because it is one single story. The other thing that I have definitely learned um, and that I am a huge proponent of is I think there's this ethos in the artistic world of paying your dues. Um, and that right. used to be like shipping yourself to L.A. as you know, in film and in sort of storytelling and, and just slaving away under the biggest name you could for as long as you'd have to before they give you your shot. And I don't think that it's changed in regard, like, I think there is an element of, like, you need to, do, like, do good work to gain credibility, but it doesn't have to be, like, that one track anymore. And I think very much there is something to creating your, like, going out there and creating your own work, whether it's right. audio drama or whether it's a web comic, and putting in the same, maybe the same number of hours, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but doing it. On your tour, on your terms, and not necessarily in this traditional sort of apprenticeship model. Although I think there is tremendous value to working with people, getting as close to the fire, so to speak. But just there's all kinds of dues that you can pay. It is there are multiple ways to attack that. Piece. Yes, you now have I think more options for where you spend that time, and it could be you know if, if you have the tools for your particular craft, or if you can sort of uh, fit the stories that you have to tell into uh, a low-cost medium, um, there are new options and new avenues. Yeah, that's cool. Where do you see your work? Where do you see your work going? What are your goals for the future? Where do you see your show in five years, ten years? We're waiting, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we would need to talk about it before we can... No, no, no. Um... <laughs> Where are your futures? What, what's, what does it look yeah, like? Yeah, well, so I, one of the things I, I'm really excited about is audience building. And I think that as media, like, I don't have cable. I don't intend to get cable. Um, I think that these new subscriber-based models are really exciting. And I think 10 years out, it's going to become a game of, you know, if you have an audience, people will want to play with you. People will People that you know, have the infrastructure, will have the money to fund ideas. And it may not be hundreds of millions of dollars, but it may not need to be as the technology advances and catches up with our imaginations. And so I think to a large degree, you know, building a YouTube channel, building a podcast, building whatever it is you can that can bring delight into people's lives and bring, you know, bring that spark of whatever it is that has people tune in. it it will open up a lot of things down the line that currently aren't like a career path. Hashtag millennial answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that what Zach said is very right. We are kind of doing this 
approach to putting stories out there where there isn't this very clear corporate ladder where we can kind of say, well, this year we're paralegals. Maybe in five years we'll be kind of on track to become partners. Um, but I think that what is clear in both of our minds is five years from now, you still want to be putting yourself in front of an audience. Five years from now, I still want to be writing. And I think that we just want to keep doing what we're doing right now, which is working with people that inspire us and that bring such amazing energy to everything that they do. And just keep trying to tell stories that reach people and have those stories get in front of as many folks as possible. And exactly what shape that will take, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be Wolf 359 or if it'll be a new project or if it'll be something completely different. Maybe we will be working at a law firm. Who knows? <laughs> but, yeah. Tell us about some upcoming events. What have you got upcoming? Well, I've got When's the, bar- the next podcast? I've got this barbecue going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next episode will be coming out on March 16th, I believe. Okay. And we'll be doing... No, it's, it's May. Oh, excuse me. Yes. These two... In English, it is not my uh, for my first language. So, but actually, no. Yeah, but actually, no. uh, Next podcast is May 16th. Okay. And after that, we'll be Where doing, will people find the podcast? Where can they listen? They can listen to it on iTunes. They can look at Wolf359 on the iTunes directory, or they can go to wolf359.fm and get all the episodes from our website. Yeah. Um, I have a YouTube video going up every single week. I had my latest one go up today. You can check it out at... What are, you, what are your videos about? Uh, they range from music videos, like what went up today, to vlogs, the sort of updates on the various different projects, which include behind the scenes on Wolf 359, behind the scenes on Project Uplift, um, but also uh, some experiments in 360 videography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, my most recent one being a music video cover of a song from Hamilton, where I play all three characters in the... And extras. And extras. <laughs> and, uh, yes. Yeah, so Someone's all short there. British soldiers that get shot um, in uh, a cover of a Hamilton song. Yeah. It's a fast rap. It's super fun. Um, and you should definitely try to watch that on the YouTube app on your mobile phone. Oh, I phone, hate so my you YouTube can look app. Around. But with the 360, it's, it's for very 360. cool because when you oh. look around, it, it actually is like a window into a world. So when you move your phone up to the ceiling, you see the ceiling. Oh, okay. So it, it's a cool experience. And if you have Google Cardboard or something that straps the phone to your face, it's like you're actually in the room. Okay. Google Cardboard? Google Cardboard. <laughs> what is Google Cardboard? Google Cardboard is an inexpensive way to strap a phone to your face for a sort of native 360 virtual reality viewing experience. Yeah, I'm going to rush to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. The, well, the New York they partnered with the New York Times and they actually sent out a bunch of these things. It's, it's essentially a box that you put together. You can slip your phone into it, and it has two magnifying glasses in the box. Uh-huh. So when you attach it to your your face, you put it kind of wear it like those kid goggles. You know those that that toy that yeah, was yeah, the Fisher yeah. Price thing that people could uh-huh. flip like through. Like spectroscope or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah viewfinder. Yeah, viewfinder. the viewfinder. Yeah. And so it's essentially a viewfinder into a 360-degree world. And mm-hmm. the New York Times is making a lot of documentary content in this format. Mm-hmm. Has it been, like, FDA-approved? <laughs> <laughs> that is a question for plebs. <laughs> you cannot stop science. Fair enough. Fair what enough. are some of the major challenges you guys have faced in so far in your journey? Scheduling. Scheduling. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, a unanimous answer. <laughs> 
because it has always been the most difficult part of it. Um, that is kind of the flip side of the magical world of independent, free-form thinking and creation, that when everyone has their independent, free-form schedule, finding the time when Everybody nowadays about together. nine people can all get into a room to do acting can be oh. incredibly challenging. Uh-huh. Um, and it can be a little bit like finding that oasis in the <laughs> desert. Um, and sometimes someone can just sort of, you know, at the last moment, I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry, but, like, my mom is in town. Would it be okay if I took the afternoon? You have to be like, no. <laughs> Forget your mom. She's not as important as my beautiful oasis of scheduling availability. Um, but until we pay them, we can't do that. Yeah. yeah. You don't pay them. No. This is a labor of love for everybody. It is a labor of love for it everybody. Really We're lucky enough with our Patreon account. Uh, which is a, a platform that allows fans to fund work on an ongoing basis. All right, tell my listeners how they can donate. Absolutely. Well, you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash wolf359. Radio. Radio. That's patreon.com slash wolf359 radio. Yep. And how much do you suggest they give? Whatever, whatever feels them. right for them. Do you uh, like seven bucks, twenty bucks? What do you want? Uh, we have one dollar a month, five dollars. The most popular is five. Um, is it a recurring fee? It is Every a recurring month. monthly yeah. fee. Um, All right, guys, listeners, anyone listening to this and podcast channels, iTunes, wherever you're listening, donate a <laughs> dollar a month, less than a cup of coffee. Yeah, and you're automatically entered to win some swag. Some what custom. swag are you giving away? Uh, we've given away uh, scripts from the live show. We currently have some uh, some wearable merchandise in Coming the works. Coming up, yeah. Um, we don't have a merch store, so it's really the only place you can get it at this point. And tell them one more time what, where the location, the web uh, address. That's patreon.com. And slash, P-A-T-R-I-O-N? Uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Okay. Dot com slash wolf three five nine radio. Okay. All right. Well, I hope you get some donations. <laughs> That'd be great. Thank you very much. Um, what are some of the best tools you found to help you on this journey? That's a great question. I can answer from the more technical side as a voiceover artist. Uh, I think that there's no better mic to start out with than the Blue Yeti. Um, mm-hmm. It made me. It, it paid for itself several times over as I was starting out in voiceover. Um, and, uh, and using that in conjunction with, I have a, an Adobe creative cloud subscription, which gives me, uh, audacity is a great program, I I, use Audacity, I use, yeah. which is free and it's awesome. Uh, I use audition, um, Adobe audition for a little more fine tooth controls, but either will get you started. Great. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any sort of like concrete tools, um, or, or they can be mental or character tools. Any character tools you want to talk about? I mean, Other than, you know, beating people up when their mother comes down and you have already said Yeah, that. I mean, that's, that's the key to success. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that um, Zach and I have found a few, not exactly mantras, but just kind of organizing principles when it comes to running this ship. And I think that one of the big ones that has really been coming into focus this past year is the concept of, what are you optimizing for when you're doing something? And obviously when you're putting anything out into the world, you want to, you know, best case scenario, you want it to be the thing that receives smashing critical praise and enormous popular acclaim along with it, multi-million dollar (laughs) gross and the accompanying Pulitzer Prize. Uh But (laughs) when Manuel Miranda, (laughs) but when you are, trying to make decisions about 
okay, God, we're not going to be able to do three things this month. We're only going to be able to do two. Which two should they be? What, sh- what are we trying to do? How should we frame this? How should we say this? It is incredibly useful to just kind of have this idea of what are we optimizing for? Are we optimizing to make money? Are we optimizing to be experimental? Are we optimizing to grow our audience? And more and more we've found that what we're optimizing for is something that reaches more people and can just sort of like engage with a bigger audience. And having that as a guiding principle has been enormously helpful as we try to navigate all the decisions about how do we put things online, how often do we do things, who do we bring into the show, how do we explain things. So that is a great conversation to have either with yourself or with any creative partners that you have (laughs) as you are starting out on the journey towards creation. That's great. That's really cool. So what advice would you give to people who are aspiring to do as you've done? Get started. Jump into it. Um, Really, that is the number one problem that I found that people get bogged down in. Just the, I'm not ready to start. I don't know if it'll be good. I don't know what's going on. If you listen to the first episode of Wolf 359, we had a lot of math that we still needed to do before we, like, <laughs> solved everything that that show needed to be. But, but if we hadn't yeah. made it, the show wouldn't exist nowadays. So It doesn't have to be perfect to yeah, do it. pull the trigger. And that will solve more problems than it will create. And you'll get – just having the momentum of having started will do you so much good. Well, we've got a little under three minutes left, so um... – why don't you guys tell us again how my listeners can find you, how they can reach you, how they can contact you, Zach Start, and tell us one, you know, uh, thing that people wouldn't know about you. One thing that people wouldn't know about me. Um, fun fact. Fun fact. <laughs> uh, I used to have uh, man boobs, and I actually Aww. have a piece in Salon.com about my experience uh, getting male breast reduction surgery. Wow. If you search Zach Valenti man boobs, you'll find all of that. That's amazing. <laughs> and so how can people find you? Uh, you can find me at ZachValenti.com. Uh, no, I thought it was dot .is. It is. It redirects. Okay. Some people okay. don't understand dot .is, so, but ZachValenti.is will get you there as well. Um, and uh, I am on Twitter, at Zach Valenti. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Beam, spelled B-E-M-E, where I share behind-the-scenes videos about pretty much everything I do. Um, you can find me on YouTube, and please subscribe at youtube.com slash Zach Valenti. Again, that's Z-A-C-H-V-A-L-E-N-T-I. Thank you. Gabriel? You kind of already gave away my standard answer to these fun facts with the sleepwalking mention in the bio. Um, what's another good one that a lot of people wouldn't know? Oh, um, for most of college, and that, I had... Um, Burgeoning career as a fire spinner and just like as an object. A fire spinner? Right. And yeah. he's damn freaking good at it. <laughs> oh, weird. I kind of haven't done about it as much as I did before I moved to New York. Okay. But, yeah. So do it in L.A., not New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, New York is a lot more touchy with its laws about when you can do it and what they want you to do for it to be safety. So, so to be safe. So it's a lot harder to kind of practice and find people to do it with. And where can people find you? Um, at Alcoholics Anonymous, mostly. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, mostly at Wolf359.fm. And they can also find me on Twitter at Kinda Evil Genius or on Tumblr at Personal Insanity Moments. All right, you guys have been great. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much.
Thanks Thank for you. having me. This is awesome. Yeah, this was fun. So tune in next week. I don't know who my guest is yet, but we'll figure it out. Thanks for joining us. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.